to that. I'll actually have the verses up on the screen as well, and so if that's easiest for you. We are in the middle of a series right now called The Pursuit of Happiness. We've been talking about the idea of this amazing life that Jesus offers to people. Um, a life of true happiness, real happiness, deep, long-lasting happiness that's not earned, but it's freely given. Uh, that is incomparable with anything that this culture offers us. And so we've been talking about what this looks like. Um, and so we're going to get into the... Uh, we've been looking at Matthew 5, um, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' just most famous sermons. It really talks about what this life with him is all about. And the beginning of that, there's a section called the Beatitudes, these proclamations of good news, these wonderful things you need to know for those who follow Jesus. And so we've been just going through them one at a time to talk about, okay, what is this amazing life that Jesus gives us, this amazing life of wonderful news, this ha true happiness that he provides? Um, before we get into today's, I just want to pray and ask that God would be the one speaking to us and that we would hear from him. So let's pray together. Uh, God, you are good, and you are awesome, and you are worthy of our worship. We are grateful that we are here with you, uh, that we are in your midst, uh, that you're present, that you love us, that you care about us. God, I pray that you would be the one speaking. I pray that you, we would hear from you this morning through your word, God, that you would penetrate through the different things we have going on, uh, whether it's distractions or worries, concerns, positive things, whatever it is, God, help us to just... Uh, set those things aside just for right now to be able to hear for what you have to say. And God, I'm really grateful that you know us, and you know everything that we carry, and you all know all the things that are inside, and you do love us, and you do care about those things. And I pray that you would help us to realize that this morning a little bit more. And so, move, Spirit, move in this place, wherever people are listening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, to start off this morning, I want to show you this amazing, beautiful picture. This is our family dog, our little baby girl. This is Darla. Um, a couple weeks ago, Darla, it marked seven years that Darla has been in our family, um, and we definitely love her tons. Uh, that would be the understatement of the world if you follow me on Instagram. Um, 18 months ago, about 18 months ago, she started experiencing some really bad health problems. Um, we thought, actually, that we were going to have to say goodbye to her. After a second opinion, thank God we didn't. Then it was months of waiting and wondering and what's going on, and then she seemed to be doing good, and then not, and it's just been an 18-month roller coaster of emotions with this little lady. The thing that she's been experiencing has actually gotten worse lately, and we've been having some difficult conversations at our home about the fact that saying goodbye to Darla is probably coming much, much sooner than later. And so we've been talking about that. I share this story because I want you to know that today's beatitude hits home with me in a really real way. And I'm sure it does for many of you as well. Today's is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I was joking with Jeanette that I, we actually were talking about, did we need to do that today, this week, say goodbye to Darla. And I'm like, I am not going to let you guys, you guys will never let me live it down that I did it for a sermon illustration. We're not doing that now. We're going to wait a little bit. So uh, we have a little bit more time. Um, they'll still probably talk about it as a sermon illustration. Um, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In our series, again, we've been talking about the idea that this life that Jesus 
makes possible and offers to us that is a life of deep, true happiness. Happiness freely given, happiness constant and ever-present, happiness that's both real now and forever. The Beatitudes are proclamations, like I said, wonderful news for those who are in Jesus. And so when we hear that, the second one seems a little bit odd. Wonderful news for those who mourn? John Stott paraphrases it as this, happy are the unhappy. This is an oxymoron proclamation of wonderful news. It's an oxymoron of good news. What exactly is this communicating here? What does Jesus want us to grasp? Well, those who mourn. The word word mourn is defined, what we see in Scripture, as to experience sadness as the result of some condition or circumstance. To experience sadness as the result of some condition or circumstance. Something happens, and then we have these emotional reaction to that of some kind of variety. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, described his grief after the passing of his wife in this way. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I am not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There is a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It is so uninteresting. Yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments that when the house is empty, if only they would talk to one another and not to me. Maybe you have been in the midst of some type of mourning, that you resonate with that and you understand. The important thing to note about blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, is that it says that blessed are those who will experience this, but it doesn't qualify at all why they are experiencing it. There's no word of, blessed are those who mourn if you're mourning for this reason. It simply just says, blessed are the mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the unhappy. Here's a couple things to consider within all of this as well, just this idea of mourning. First off, mourning occurs when something comes to an end. Mourning comes when something comes to an end. It might be a small thing, a really small thing, like a TV show ending or your favorite restaurant closing, um, the idea of an amazing week of 80-degree weather coming to a crashing halt in snow on Saturday. (laughs) Again, let's mourn together. Um, But I think about like that show goes over. Think about how we talk about it. I'm so bummed that it's over. The mourning might come because of a big thing a huge thing. And those are usually the things that move us and grieve us deeply and for a long while. There are all kinds of reason why all kinds of things can end, can, can come to a conclusion, can cease to be, can change their course, but we mourn when things come to an end. For example, we do mourn the end of life. We know that we're going to have to say goodbye to Darla soon. We said goodbye to my grandfather about 10 years ago. You've experienced such loss at some point. Jesus wept 
John 11:35, the shortest verse in the Bible, is filled with the biggest of emotions as Jesus mourns the death of his friend. We mourn the loss of life in the individuals that we know, but we also see tragedies happening in our city and around the world, and those can cause mourning. Those should cause mourning. May we always grieve such losses of life and never grow callous. We also mourn the end of relationships. In Acts 15.39, it says, Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. These guys that had been journeying together and doing ministry together and for a long time got into such a disagreement that they stopped and they went their separate ways. And we really don't know what happened after that. It says in Psalm 55, the, art, the author says, if an, enemy were, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the whisperers. The way this friend treated him, the way this ends, it's worse than how his enemies have treated him. Maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's a dating relationship, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a family connection, but at times those connections end, and those endings invite mourning. We mourn the end of a season, the end of your time at college, the end of your time in a community, the end of your time at a job, the end of your, the end of your kid's current growth stage, the end of anything that you poured your time into, that you made connections with, that you invested energy in, that you put effort into, that you gave resources to. When that season ends, it invites mourning. And we also mourn the end of holiness. We are meant to live holy as God is holy. That is the call of those who follow Jesus. Be like him. And we go about and we do that and we live in that way and then something else happens. We mess up. We fail. We compromise. We lapse. We sin. James chapter 4 says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now James isn't giving... And when some, some Christians need to hear this, Jesus, James is not saying Christians should live this way 24-7. This should define your personality. He's not saying that that's the definition of the Christian life. Even, again, even though you wouldn't know that the way some Christians are. What he's saying here is, though, is that this should be how we react to our sin. We should mourn it. When we are moving along rightly, in holiness, and then we do something to stop that, that ends that trek, we should mourn that. We should grieve that. Second Corinthians 7, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Not shame. We're not talking about feel shame. But but feeling grief when we fail is an appropriate response to failure. I should mourn that I did this and move back to God in repentance. So we mourn the loss of life. We can mourn the loss of relationships. We can mourn the loss of the end of a season. We can mourn the end of holiness. 
These aren't the only things that we mourn for because these aren't the only things which come to an end, but these are the common things. These are some of the big things, and we're all going to experience them at some point, which leads to this next thing to consider about mourning, is that life with Jesus doesn't stop things that will cause mourning. Life with Jesus doesn't stop things that cause mourning. He doesn't say, you won't mourn. He doesn't say, blessed are you who follow me, you are never going to have to mourn again. He doesn't say that. Remember, these are proclamations of the wonderful life in Jesus. And in that wonderful life, in this amazing life that Jesus gives us, people will at times experience the loss of life, the end of relationships, the end of seasons, and will continue to struggle with sin. The misconception is that life with Jesus is trouble-free, but Jesus cleared that one up really succinctly. In this world, you will have trouble. I mean, he says that in John. In John 16, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so it is, we will have trouble. We will see things end even in the midst of this wonderful life with Jesus. The import, this is important to grasp now because you're going to need this truth at some point in the future. When the, difficult, the most difficult of endings come, we experience the deepest mourning. And it's when we're experiencing the deepest of mournings that people would say, but I thought God loved me. I've been doing all of this for him. Why would he let this happen? Jesus redeemed us into a life back with God, not a life free from pain. And like Jesus himself, we will have times of mourning because we experience life full of endings. And so life with him doesn't stop those. It helps us guide through them. So we will, blessed are those who mourn. We mourn things that end, and even with Jesus, things end. So thank God for the second part of the verse. They will be comforted. They will be comforted. The history of this word is rooted in the basic idea of being present with someone to console or to encourage them. It isn't to, they will find comfort, it's just not this floating cerebral, emotional thing that lands upon a person, it's rooted within connection with others. To comfort was to go to a person. To comfort was to be with a person. To go to a person to be with them and comfort them mean you cried with them, that you reminisced with them, that you tried to laugh with them, that you acknowledged them. The mourning one knew that they weren't alone. The person in mourning knew they weren't going through it by themselves. They had somebody to cry with, somebody to laugh with, somebody to reminisce with, somebody to acknowledge them. They weren't by themselves. Jesus is proclaiming the wonderful life of true life, wonderful life of true happiness that he makes possible, and he proclaims that in that life, we are not alone during any of the moments when endings happen. Everything that we experience in this life will end at some point, except for Jesus' love and presence with us. That is the one thing 
that never ends. The presence of Jesus in our ending moments also transcends those moments. He connects our ending moment where we are back to what he did on the cross. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The victory of the resurrection is true for us in this moment of ending. He connects our ending moment where we are ahead to future, the future promises which he gives. Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We will live with him forever. There is more to our story. These ending experiences themselves will end and all things will be forever new. Good news for those mourning. You are never alone. Jesus cries with us over the loss of life, offers us peace beyond understanding. Jesus grieves with us over the loss of relationships, reminding us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He reminds us of his church and the community that we are a part of. Jesus walks with us during the loss of a season, showing us new mercies every day, reminding us of our purpose and gifting and who we are with him. Jesus doesn't abandon us in our loss of holiness. He tells us that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is with you, and that never ends. He loves and cares for you, and his love and care never end. 2 Corinthians, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Wonderful news. You will be comforted. Not maybe, not possibly, not if you do something. Wonderful news. In Jesus, you will be comforted. And that's the promise. So what do we do with this? What do we do with what this Beatitude is proclaiming to us. Well, before I give you some suggestions, I want you to hear a story about this. And so Casey actually is going to be sharing her story with us this morning. And Casey's is definitely a story of having to deal with ending moments and all that comes with them. And so talking with her about her testimony and just, again, knowing her for a while and hearing about just things that God's been doing in her own life, this seemed like the perfect complement to what we're talking about this morning. So let's welcome Casey as she comes up. Good morning. Um, yeah, I'm Casey. I've been at New Life for almost five years now. And yeah, Bobby and I talked about me sharing, but really it started with this card. Um, it's one of the prayer cards. Um, I feel like I'm too short for this. It's okay. <laughs> A few weeks ago, when we prayed for these cards for the first time in service, I was in the back and Sue handed me this card. And it read, depression has been tormenting me. I need freedom from it. And I felt so deeply for this person because I also struggle with depression. Um, I've been walking through it consistently for almost 10 years now. Um, 
And literally the next day, I had my first appointment with a psychiatrist. It, just the timing of it was crazy. But um, so I wanted to talk to this person and let them know that they were prayed for by someone who gets it. Um, I also wanted to share, just as we're talking about grief, that is a big part of my story as well, but I also see depression as a type of grief, like grieving, living life in a broken world. And um, God has been teaching me something that has helped with both my depression and my grief over the past three fasts with New Life, and I wanted to share that in the hopes that it would be helpful to others as well. Um, so New Life starts the year with a 21-day fast, and the first one I did was in 21. Before that time, I had already been struggling with depression and my faith for several years. Um, my journey with grief had also started. Um, in 2017, my younger brother died in a motorcycle accident, and right before him, a friend of mine passed away. And so I was already working through a lot of things before this. And then 2020 happened, um, which was a, a lot for a lot of us. But that summer um, was really intense personally, just a lot of things that happened. Um, three people I loved died, uh, my grandma and my aunt and a friend. Um, a family friend was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I. COVID forced me into a job, a good job, but one I was burnt out in. There was roommate conflict and apartment drama, and my best friends moved to the other side of the country. And, and all, it was just all of that in a span of two and a half months. And I don't know, I just, I trudged my way through the rest of the year, but I knew coming to the fast that I, I needed to do it. So I did. And I prayed for God to deal with this pain, with um, this depression. And um, I, um, I, I remember the first week and a half of that fast, I, I felt the happiest. I had felt happy consistently for the first time in several years. And... and I was like, this is, this is what it's supposed to be like. It was amazing to me. And I remember telling my, my small group, like, I really feel like I'm turning a corner here. And I was terrified to say it because there had been so many times before where I had said it and thought it was happening, and then it didn't. <laughs> um, but I was, I was hoping in it then. And... A week and a half into the fast, I got a text that another friend of mine died. She was 22. <laughs> she died sad, and it just knocked the wind back out of me. Um, I kind of trickled off the fast, and that year I struggled with a lot of stress-related health issues, stomach pain and muscle pain, and um, I, I, I finished up that job I was doing, um, and by the end of it and the summer, I, I was just empty. 
Um, and my depression shifted into this more severe place where it was just really hard to function day to day. <laughs> so fast of 22, I get there. <laughs> and I still brought my depression to the Lord, but I was more focused on my relationship with him. Um, during that month, I had been re-skimming a book I read on depression, and I was reading for the first time Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. It's a great book. Um, in this book on depression I had read, the author talks about the environmental factors that he believes leads to depression, um, things like disconnection from people or meaningful values and work, a sense of worth, a sense of hope, connection, disconnection from nature, all these things that made a lot of sense. Um, in the last days of the fast, I'm finishing up Keller's book, and at the end, he lays out the gospel in his own words. And I literally had both, both of those books beside each other at that time, and I'm finishing up Keller's book, and, and my jaw just kind of drops because everything that was listed in this other book about, like, this is how you have a happy life, it was in Keller's book. I mean, very, it, like, very similar wording at times. It was all there. And I, but it felt like a more, like, complete, robust version of what this other person was trying to get at. And it, it took me until just this week to figure out why. Because it, it is one thing when you are pursuing those, own, those things, like, um, worth and hope and um, value. It's one thing to pursue those on your own, but it's a completely different thing when those things are given to you perfectly and fully by the creator of the universe. We, we can't get that like that on our own. Um, yeah, I... Um, So I, I finished the chapter, and I, I realized, like, oh, God just showed me the way through this, and it's him, which feels like such a, like, Sunday school answer, but it's just kind of the truth. <laughs> um, so the fast this year, I get to, and my prayer is... God, you can do what you want with my depression and with my grief. Um, you can take it or leave it. And you can have your way with it. I just want you because I know if I have you, it doesn't matter what else is going on, what else happens. I know I'm going to be okay because I have you. And just taking away depression or grief or loss doesn't do that. Only God does that. And so the fast ended up being a really encouraging and sweet time for me. Um, after that, it was a little bit more difficult. Coming off the fast was more difficult than I anticipated. And I had just really reached this place 
with my depression where I, I had just been muscling through it for so long and realized I, I couldn't do it that way anymore. Um, so in March, I started uh, taking an antidepressant for the first time. And the first one that I tried was not a good fit. <laughs> um, the, the physical side effect it gave me was a lot, but also just emotionally, it made me feel so much worse. And at the most difficult moments of that, it just so happened all, like most of my social interactions with people also all disappeared at the same time. <laughs> and so I was just praying one day in this, and I'm like, okay, God, so like, when I said you can do what you want with my depression, like we're really, we're really putting that to the test now, I guess. Um, but it was good because it made me really think like, do I, do I really believe this? Like, do I really mean this? Um, and it didn't happen all the time, but I realized I, that is what I wanted. And then some of the darkest moments of that, I just, came to the Lord and was like, okay, I'm here, and I'm trusting you. And that was kind of all I had. And the pain was still there in that moment, but there is also comfort now, and there is also peace. Um, and those, it was those moments that were the, the only thing during that time that was able to lift that heaviness at all. Um, I'm doing better now than I was then, um, still in the thick of it, but um, I'm hoping in the midst of it. Um, so to wrap up, to my friend <laughs> and to anyone else who is experiencing any kind of loss or grief or depression, um, I'm really sorry, because it is a rough place to be in, and your pain is significant. Um, to know that he is in it with us, even when it doesn't feel like he is, because um, he's been there. Jesus is the man of sorrows and gets it more than any of us ever will. Um, and our Father is faithful to take horrible things in our life and work them out to be for our good and his glory. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. If you, if, yeah, this is something that resonates with you, please feel free to talk to me at any time. Um, yeah, I love you all. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate Casey sharing, you know, being a parent, there's things I say to my kids and then somebody else says it and it's like, I just said that, why did you listen to them and not me? And um, she couldn't have said it better than I could. And I hope that what she said encourages you because uh, I know that she knows that she's not the only one who's been there. I have been there and many of you have. And blessed are those who mourn. It isn't just a Sunday school answer. It's the truth. So a couple of just suggestions on 
how we take this forward, kind of going off of the, what I shared with the passage and off of working off of Casey's story. There's just a couple of things really quick I want to say. How do we do this? You're not alone, so what do we do with this? Well, first off is this. If we're with Jesus, then with Jesus, we are given permission to grieve. With Jesus, we are given permission to grieve. The story in John 11 that I mentioned when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies is interesting because, again, Jesus weeps deeply over the death of his friend, the friend he's about to raise from the dead. So Jesus, who's about to make this guy's ending not be an ending, didn't avoid the emotions of that ending. He didn't, he didn't just go, ah, wait till they see this cool thing. No, his friend died. And so he wept. Because that's what you do when those endings happen. And so again, if Jesus, who knew no sin, didn't sin when he wept over the death of a friend, it's not sin when we weep or grieve or mourn over any type of ending. The Psalms are full of prayers of people who lamented, who cried out, who got ticked, who got depressed, felt things fully, and brought them all to God. 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. One time about six years ago, uh, I was talking with a counselor just about what seemed like a very dark cloud that was following me around for a little while. And if you do the math, six years ago, yes, I was pastoring here. And it wasn't pastoring here, but part of that in some ways, to be honest. The counselor I was talking to, he asked about my life and everything. He asked about a lot of previous ministry experience, different stuff. And I shared about how, you know, within sharing about all of that, I shared about how the big church where I was as a youth pastor and had an amazing group and everything that it fell apart because of the failures of the founding pastor. And then about how it even took more damage with a very toxic leader who followed him. At one point, we were at 1,400 people. When I left, we were at 90 people. So that, that alone tells you how it was. And I'll never forget him saying, after I was sharing my story, he says, you know, Bobby, I don't think that you're depressed because you're not depicting what that would be. What I hear you is that you are full of sadness. And so let me ask you a question. Have you ever grieved about what happened? Have you ever grieved that the ministry ended the way that it did and it didn't keep going the way you thought it was going to keep going? Have you allowed yourself to feel those emotions? And the truth was I hadn't. I hadn't. I just, I kept going. I stayed busy. I moved on, which means can be translated as I didn't address it, I ignored it, and I avoided it. I needed to mourn what wasn't in that previous place. You need to be honest as much as I needed to be honest. As much as Casey, I need to process these things. I need to grieve. I, you need to give yourself permission to mourn, to be honest with Jesus about everything and bring it to him. Let me say something pretty strongly here, but that's very very necessary. Saying that you never mourn is not a strength. It could be a sign of an unhealthy delusion. You are missing the truth of what's underneath, and it's not healthy for you or anyone around you. 
We need to mourn. To never mourn means you've never been connected, never been disappointed, never have failed. To never mourn, and none of that's true. And so to have been connected, to have been disappointed, to have failed means you need to feel the emotions that come with those things. And to say, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to ever. You're saying, I don't want to be healthy. I don't want to be in a good place. I don't want to be comforted. We need to mourn. We need to grieve. It's the healthiest thing that we can do. And I'm saying that to you from experience, both of not having done it and then changing and having done it. And the beautiful thing is you're not alone. Jesus invites you to mourn. Second thing to think about. With Jesus, we are given carriers of comfort for our grief. We are given carriers of comfort for our grief. Jesus is always with us but Jesus also utilizes others in the job and the being present with us and bringing comfort to us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. It says in John 14, but the counselor, excuse me, the comforter, even the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said unto you. The comforter, the advocate, the helper, the one who stands with us. That's what that means. That the Spirit is the comforter, the advocate, the one who stands with us, one who is with you, to remind you of the things that we forget in the midst of mourning. When we forget the truth, when we forget who we are, when we forget what's real, when we forget what's important, that we forget that we matter, that we forget that we should keep going, the comforter is there with us, advocating for us, reminding us what's true. Jesus has also given us the church community. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, Praise be to the, and I read part of this, Praise be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. But then it says, So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We are placed to follow Jesus as not an individual thing, it's a community thing. It's not something I just do, it's a we thing. We are part of a group, part of a family, connected with one another. And one of the reasons why we receive comfort is so that we can relay comfort. I mean, the expectation is, is that when you know that Jesus is with you, you're going to have somebody in the midst of you that forgets that reality, and you need to be the one to come alongside them. We carry the comfort to others who don't realize it's present and available to them. We are meant to pass on to others that which Jesus gave to us. In 1 Corinthians 12, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Here's when you know that you're connected. When one person's pain is your pain. When one person's sorrow, mourning, when you feel that with them, and it isn't just roll off your head or roll over you like a news report you've heard so many times. When you feel their pain, then you know you're part of something. And we're meant to be part of something where we feel that. And we walk with people. And we carry comfort to people. And so that's the thing. I mean, even the idea of the loss of connections. And again, difficult things that sometimes are hard to hear, but we need to hear them. It's in the moments when you feel like you need to withdraw from community that you need community the most desperately. 
Anytime you feel, I, and again, I understand needing a break from people, intro, I understand all that. Trust me, that's my life as well. I get it. But the, I, there's a difference between I've been going with people for a while and I just need to not be around humans for a day. That's different. I need to disconnect how I go about my life from people. That's very unhealthy. That we're not meant to be that. Again, I'm not saying introverts need to be extroverts. I'm saying regardless of what vert you are, you need to be connected with people. You can't go through life alone. And when we do that, we intentionally put ourselves in an unhealthy place. You're saying, I don't want comfort. But you do. Jesus put with Jesus, we are given carriers of comfort for our grief. We need to be connected. The last thing. With Jesus, we have truth to carry us through our grief. With Jesus, we have truth to carry us through those ending moments when we mourn. We talked on Easter about Jesus being the rock that we build our lives on. And the question I asked then, I ask now, how does what you look to for happiness hold up to life's storms? Because with Jesus... When the storms of life come, when the endings come, he doesn't move. He's, excuse me, always constant. He's ever present. Anything in the culture, they might give us a temporary thing, but when the storm hits, they leave. And 2020 COVID life should show us that reality. How many things did we grip onto for hope and meaning and purpose and security that were ripped from the world and we lost all those things? Unless you find that in Jesus, then the, what your source of happiness was, was always with you. How does what you look to for happiness hold up to the storms of life? Bring that to our current topic. Does the thing you look to for happiness truly help you during the ending moments when you mourn? Or is it kind of like, ooh, that's kind of weird. Do your thing. I'll be back. Jesus is with us even during the difficult things. Typically, the things we look to to help, we help us to avoid, to bury, to numb, to ignore the difficulty. Or it does through, it, it might offer a little bit of healthy help, but it doesn't offer anything compared to what the eternal hope and joy that Jesus does. We need to come back to the truth of who he is. 2 Thessalonians 2 so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word, or mouth, word of mouth or by letter. You need to stand firm in these things because the endings are going to come. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, Jesus gives this invitation. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke and learn from me. This isn't just emotional. Learn from me. Learn the truth of God, the truth of this life, the truth of who I am, so that, that what you learn in truth can hold you and guide you in the midst of the endings, in the midst of the storms. And so as we close today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Typically, we'd have you stand up and join us in a song. I want you to sit and listen to a song. Our team is going to do a song right now of reflection. And I want you to think of this. What are the ending moments that you are mourning right now? What are the ending moments that you've avoided and you need to mourn them? 
What are the failures that you need to grieve and ask forgiveness of? What do you need to come and bring to Jesus? Let's listen to this song.
there is nothing, no one you know, not yourself, nothing in our culture, nothing can make the promises which the Lord makes. C.S. Lewis said, it is quite useless knocking on the door of heaven for earthly comfort. It's not the sort of comfort they supply there. They have God, meaning the comfort God gives is better than anything we can find on this earth. The comfort of Jesus is greater and deeper and more real than any comfort we can find on our own. No one can say to you these things. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. That to grieve without Jesus is to grieve without hope. To grieve with Jesus is to have hope. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. He is the one that you can come to. He is the one that you need. Wonderful news for those who mourn. You will be comforted. Come find life in him. Would you stand with us? We are going to do one last song. God, we thank you so much that you are present, that you are here, that you are not far off, that you do not run from our problems, you do not run from our endings, but you are with them through every second. And you know beyond even what we know, the things that we're going through, carrying, dealing with. And so God, I pray that you would speak truth. I pray that you would put arms around us. I pray that you would remind us of hope and joy and that we're not alone. And God, anyone in here that doesn't know you, let today be the day of finding true comfort true joy, true peace, true hope in you. We ask all these things in your name. Let's do this last song together.